You're listening to the Plain Label Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Plain Label Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Williams, and in this episode, we continue our horror film discussion with A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, and Hereditary. Here to discuss the films with me is returning guest, Mr. Cameron Rice. Hello. Before getting into our discussion, I would like to mention that we are still proud members of the Deliberate Noise Network. Search Deliberate Noise in your podcast app for more great shows from the network. And we are also sponsored by Audible. For you, the listeners of Plain Label Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash plainlabel. Again, that is audibletrial.com slash plainlabel for your free audiobook. So, Cameron, we are discussing these films a little earlier than normal what are you uh sure. what are you sipping on today I got a little bit of classic it's a coffee with a little bit of kalua just a little bit perfect 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 uh i detailed why to you before we started recording but i'm having <laughs> i'm having some coffee and then just coffee and i think this is probably one of the first times where i am not drinking on the show so Put a gold star next to that, I guess. Oh, yeah. Uh, so this could, this could be interesting. Normally, I'm a little more uh, fluid, I guess, when we're talking. So that's what we're having. Um, I guess we're ready to kick off our discussion. So our first film, it is from 1987, and it is A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. And the IMDb plot synopsis goes like this. Picking up where the original nightmare left off, Nancy has grown up and become a psychiatrist specializing in dream therapy. She meets a group of children at a local hospital facing Freddy Krueger, the same demon she once encountered in her sleep. One of them is Kristen, who has the power to draw other people into her dreams. Working with a male doctor assigned to the case, Nancy helps the kids realize their special abilities within the nightmare world. When Freddy captures one of her charges, she leads a rescue attempt into Kruger's domain in hopes of putting his spirit to rest once and for all. Mm. Yes. So, Cameron, tell me about your history with Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Yeah. So we talked about this movie, I think, like two or three years ago. And, we did. Uh, yeah, but I think so. 
it was in conjunction with like in conjunction with like uh, the first nightmare. We mostly were talking about the first nightmare, and then I kind of did a little bit of a thing on three and seven because Wes Craven made those too. But because I knew we were doing Hereditary, I really wanted to talk about this one because I feel there are certain themes uh, that pop up, uh, mostly children being terribly misled by their parents. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> And it's also got a couple of iconography similarities too with the mm-hmm. house. So. House, and there's a lot of religious stuff that go going on, mm-hmm. uh, being played with. Freddie's mom's a nun. Um, but yeah, I love Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Nightmare on Elm Street 3 to me is like a great way to do a sequel in that you are both respecting the chronology that came before. Cause the original Nightmare is all about like he was a child murderer who the fan, the, town killed and now he's got nightmare powers Mm -hmm. and the third one does not try to explain the nightmare powers no it doesn't it doesn't try to be like here's how it all happened part six does that and it's terrible (laughs) um it just adds to it by creating because then that's where we get into um freddy's mom and the other nickname he would then have throughout the rest of the series is the bastard the son of a thousand maniacs Mm -hmm. which is so good and so fucked up (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes it is <laughs> uh, but it's also like I just love that it, it's really uh, and Frank Darabont wrote the script on this along with Chuck Russell um, and so it's got a there, there's something about it whereas the first film was very much like Nancy even though Nancy had a group of friends and Johnny Depp's her boyfriend all this other stuff the film was very much like Nancy's journey and I kind of love that this was it's almost like a and d campaign <laughs> yeah it kind of is yeah where it's like, let's take all these characters, and you get the nerd and the jock and the silent uh, brute and this that, and the other, and they're gonna go on this journey and they're gonna face all these different creatures, uh, and all the creatures being Freddy, but Freddy manifesting himself as different objects. This is the first time we really see transforming Freddy too, uh, which is another like additions of the series that the series picks up from there. Um, it's also the first film where we get um, really comedic Freddy, uh-huh. uh, and I remember. <laughs> Um, uh, Chuck Russell saying like, uh, he, he's the one who can kind of be blamed for Freddy continuing to like turn into more and more of a Bugs Bunny jokester type as the series mm. went on. Um, but yeah, I love Nightmare 3. I think it does a sequel well. I think it, it, my, one of my favorite moments is when Freddy sees Nancy again. Mm-hmm. When he's the big worm. Uh- and it's kind of <laughs> like, it's this big, Kind and it's treated like a moment. The camera dollies in on Nancy's face, and it's treated as this thing. Freddy goes, "You," and I'm like, "This is great. This is the shit that people love about the Marvel movies." Yeah, Where, really. Hey, this character walked in. Oh my god, it's them! Kind of a thing. Um, <laughs> it's so fun. Uh, I love, and but I also love that it's also still playing with. You know, we're talking about all the fun of it, but I love that uh, it continues what Wes Craven was doing. Where Wes Craven in the first film was trying to kind of talk about being uh, in the 80s like children of divorce and stuff like that and that kids kind of had to fend for themselves and all this other stuff and on this one he talked about because Wes Craven did the first draft of the script and then Frank Darabont and Chuck Russell took it from there uh, but he talked about he was noticing a lot of or at least it was talked about more in the media at the time was uh, teenagers committing suicide Hmm, And so, again, like commenting on what was happening to youth in the 80s and all this other stuff, it wasn't just about how cool the kills are, and the kills are very cool, Mm -hmm. uh, but it was also about like trying to say something, and I kind of loved that, and I think it works in that regard. 
Yeah, so this is not the first time I've seen it. Um, you know, it's one of those where you'd have to dig back and see how similar my thoughts are going to be to what I had said originally, <laughs> to what I had said originally. But one of the things that I will mention that is much different is since I watched this movie the first time for a recording, um, I worked at, uh, at Boys Town High School, which is like a kind of like a group, uh, like a group home. Right. Yes. And so it's a lot of kids that either have, uh, tough family issues or they need to be on medication or they're having sort of suicidal thoughts or they need to be sort of helped in some way or, or the other. And so I thought it was really interesting having that background on watching this movie again because some of the kids I'm like, Oh, that's not too similar from X child that I used to have or oh this person kind of reminds me of this character and so I kind like of like great that. art it grows with you <laughs> that's right and so I kind of liked that um, I think that some of the things in here I would have loved to see this with more of a ooh, how do I want to say this I would I would have loved to see this exact same story with a few better actors or a few, or a little bit uh, or a little bit better um handling of some of the characters I guess because I guess one of the ones that I didn't particularly like is I thought Dr. Gordon was terrible. He's an interesting actor. That guy I I I I don't mind him but he he was also in um uh Brian De Palma's I think Body Double. He's also in that. Okay. He's the lead in that. He's an interesting actor but uh, yeah, he obviously is not somebody who from what I can tell uh, has continued to work constantly since uh, this time in the 80s. Right. And so maybe, you know, since it's the it's the late-ish 80s, maybe it's just a stylistic thing that doesn't yes. work as well for me now watching it. But it's a thing where I'm like, ooh, man, I don't... I don't, I think he's kind of rough. Whereas I think watching Lawrence Fishburne and his just general sort of vibe is way more relaxed. Yeah. And he's not like, I'm... Doing theater, which I feel like a lot of the actors are doing. And well, so yeah, he's... I think for a lot of these actors, and that's sort of a staple of the Nightmare series, a lot of times these were some people's first movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they they figure out their kind of style after that. But I'm also kind of like, I, I guess for me, because like I watch a lot of horror movies all the time, I kind of like am accustomed to not the best acting. Okay. Because uh, something like this is usually about more about like how the how the effects are done and how good is the monster. And thankfully, like, Freddy is the, at this point, like, he is optimum Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And we'll talk a lot, we'll talk a little bit about this, uh, the characters versus the acting on our next episode. Um, and some of the thoughts that I have about that. But I think that, like, Patricia Arquette, I think for what she's doing, she's got that sort of very classic, uh, like, flat Patricia Arquette delivery. And I'm like, oh man, this has, like, always been her. Which I think does, I think actually works for this character. Yeah, I think it does. Detached. Yeah, I think it does. And I think that when when the characters are when the when the students themselves are acting in certain ways, I think that that works fine. Like I don't have any problems really with with the kids. I, it's more of the adult actors that I feel like lets the film down just a little bit. Now I will say that I think that the actual Freddy stuff I think is perfect. Like I love the fact that they give him an origin, but they, or they don't give him an origin, but they talk about that origin and they give it in as much detail as it needs to be. Like they don't, like you mentioned earlier, they don't try to over explain it. They don't try to 
say it's just know, creepy enough yeah and and they do kind of hint at it and they do have the whole nun reveal at the end and all that sort of thing and i think that that's exactly right with what you should do in a sequel and so i really liked that one of the things that i thought was interesting was i was wondering as i was watching it how much of what we were seeing is freddy controls the world or it's all of these kids's worst nightmare that he's personifying in the nightmare world. I think with Freddy, it's always a bit of a mix. It always, mm. I, I think that's sort of one of those unanswered things because I think it's supposed to be a little bit left open to audience interpretation because I think if you answered it, like if they answered it, you would then get part six where you're kind of like, oh, that's lame. <laughs> and it's not as, it's not as cool as the thing I came up with in my head. So sure. it's almost like it's better to be like, how in control is he? Mm, control enough. It's kind of like, um, Evil Dead. Oh, okay. where, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, what's to determine when the, creatures show up and when they don't is it all about the sunset sunrise is that all it mattered but then you have the evil dead remake where they then try and be like here's a book that explains exactly when things are going to happen and it's like oh boo yeah and i notoriously hated that movie yeah that evil dead remake could not stand it and you know what's funny is that there'll be some times where i'll see something um i don't know if it's the director or the writer or who but i'll see I'll just see either conversation or something like that in passing about how that was a success. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? So I don't I think know. financially, I think it was a success. And that I think must, even like be. critically, I don't think anyone like adored it, but if people were like, Oh, it's kind of cool to see a super bloody movie in the multiplexes again. <laughs> Cause it had been a minute. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of Nancy's return? And what do you think of her sort of, one of the things that I liked about it is, is she's got, she's like, you know, the the look of her is way 80s, but I love the fact that she has kind of the stress hair, you know, like the trauma oh, yeah. hair. And so what, what did you think of uh, of her return? I liked it. I thought she did uh, also like – it's funny because this is only supposed to be like truth timeline-wise, like for when the first one came out to the third one. It's supposed to be like two years, but it's mm-hmm. that fun two years in like everyone's life when you kind of lose some baby fat in your cheeks and all this other <laughs> stuff. So they can convincingly say like, Nancy went to college and already graduated and she's already like, all this time went by. <laughs> and you're kind of like, yeah, I buy it because it was yeah. like that right time in uh, Heather Langenkamp's life. Yeah, she was um, extra motivated and graduated really quickly. Yeah. Um, no, I thought she did really good though. I like I like Heather Langenkamp. Um, I worked on something with her recently. Like, uh, maybe about a year or so ago. Super, super nice. Like, really, like, really, like, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, like, you'll hear the term, like, an onset mom kind of a thing. Uh, like, very much, like, how's everyone doing? This, that, and the, like, very talkative, very sweet. Um, but I've always, yeah, I've always liked her, but I've always liked this version of her, honestly, is like part mm-hmm. three, is like mm-hmm. my favorite version of Nancy. Well, and I think what I like about it is she is a little rougher in this movie when it comes to the actual, like, if I'm looking at her as an actor. And I think that that really, I think that that really works as that character because she's not like very extremely like polished as an actress in this film. And I think that that's perfect because she is sort of still struggling with what she's going through and the trauma that she's experienced. And now it's, you know, it's back and she has to deal with it again. And I, I, I think that she worked really well as well. So the, like I was saying, the only things that kind of, that I wasn't as sold on was I didn't really like the doctors so much in the, in terms of either their writing or their performance or a combination of both. 
And then I wished that we could have got a little bit more time with some of the the actual patients. Because sure. it's just, they're just kind of plopped in there and you're like, oh, this is stereotype this and this is this caricature that. And so I was like, oh, you know, this is one of those where I always think like, well, if they made it today, what would it be like? And it's like, well, we would have had a lot more time with these people to where we would have cared a little bit more about them. But I, I get that it's, you know, it's part three in a series and it's an 80s sort of horror film. And the point is the kills, not necessarily the the kids. Well, I kind of like that. To me, what kind of made it work for me was that um, I like that they they were p- painting with kind of a broad character brush. Like it's it felt similar to. Like, th- this is a movie I feel like I can always put on, like, after watching, like, something like The Lost Boys. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. And The Lost Boys, you don't get much. Like, who are the Frog Brothers? They're mm-hmm. comic book shop owners who believe vampires are real. That's all you really get. <laughs> right. um, and I feel like you kind of get – I think that was, like, an 80s staple. And I think today, you're right. We would have – every character would have their own movie before they met in the Nightmare on Elm Street cinematic universe. <laughs> and you'd be like, oh, God, I don't care. Um, but – I kind of appreciate that it's like, who's Kincaid? Kincaid's this big fucking dude who has an attitude. And I'm like, works for me. I get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't need to hear about, like, his father and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, nope, that's Kincaid. We totally mm-hmm. believe, totally works for It's sort of like um, – it's similar to, like, a sol- like a movie with soldiers in it. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, who's this guy? Oh, that's the – that's the potty mouth. That's the guy from Brooklyn. That's the guy – that's the nerd. And that's the, the – you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. What what uh what do you think of the fact that and I, I guess I'm skipping a little bit to some of the deaths. What do you think about the fact that we don't get a resolution for the uh for the creepy janitor? That was one of the things that bugged me cuz he was such a like the pervy janitor or the not janitor, the pervy like attendant. Right. And um, I was like, "Oh, I can't wait for this fucking guy to die this time." And then I watched it and was like, "Oh, wait. <laughs> he didn't get killed." Well, I think that's always that's also something that's kind of been a staple of um, Nightmare. We see it in stuff like It, like a lot of 80s Stephen King kind of stuff is like, yeah, the monster's bad. There's also this other stuff in the world <laughs> that the monster has nothing to do with. Yeah, because you you have that relaxation of, oh, okay, I'm I'm away from Freddy, but then I still got this asshole to deal with too. That's yeah, you know. So yeah, I guess I kind of like that, but I was I was begging for him to be dead when I was watching I it this time. Especially after the whole uh, you know, I forget her, I forget the character's name, but wanting to get the girl a fix again and all that kind of stuff. I was like, "Oh man." Oh, and that, that character I really dig too and her death where Freddy turns his fingers into syringes. Yes, that one's the best. All the Freddy deaths are so, like the the uh marionette one. The marionette uh, one's by far the grossest one, I think. Yes. Because they really stretch that one out. And also the claymation. Oh, my God. It's so, <laughs> this movie's so good. <laughs> <laughs> you, have the, you have the marionette one, and then you also have um, – what's the other one I love? I love the um, – uh, oh, I mean, Welcome to Primetime, Bitch. Yeah, like Welcome the, to Primetime. I think that one's the most famous one from this movie would be – because that's the, like, Freddy joke – uh, that's oh, really where he's the funniest. I would yes, a hundred percent. Yeah. So yeah, I think that that one's really good. I do like that. Um, I guess I I like this the one with the syringe where Taryn's getting killed because I like the fact that we we do get to see that he's enjoying it. It's not yes. just like some sort of 
thing that he has to do. Like he's having a good time doing it. I, I kind of like that little, that yeah, little the, reveal. Uh, the what a rush. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which always makes me think of uh, wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Road Warriors. I'm like, oh yeah, that's this. So <laughs> that's <good>. fucked up. <laughs> so yeah, I like that bit. I do like um, one of the other things that I, I appreciated was I do like that they they bring in a little bit of religion, but they don't kind of hammer it home. And I think that you know they have the nun stuff and they have the reveal at the end, like I said, but they don't have like a oh, well, you have to be a, a force on the other side to contend with him, blah, 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 blah. They don't do like a like a prophecy kind of a thing. You know, it's not like they don't get that big in terms of scale to where they keep it pretty localized. It's it's just enough. That's sort of the thing mm-hmm. that kind of you that you can do in like a real good horror movie is like just kind of grazed by certain things because like we know we understand the iconography, we understand religion and Jesus. You, if you're growing up in America in the '80s, you probably have a pretty good idea about that stuff. So you don't need to hit it too hard. It's kind of you, you graze by it. She's a nun, right? You know yep. and. It's also them playing with like the, the, some vampire tropes, obviously, and then also, oh my god, the Jason and the Argonauts stop motion animation <laughs> right. is my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> it's so good. Yes, yes. So one of the things that I think was so fun about this was watching and just kind of seeing the, just like the the realness of of all of the. Like of the movie, I guess. Oh yeah, like just seeing how handmade it was all handmade it it was, and and it's not like oh yeah, we'll just spit it, we'll just throw it into a computer and it'll be fine. It was just so the, you could just see all of the hours that were put into all of the creations, and and I think that the slug the slug Freddy is what I called him. That one is so gross to me. Just this humongous like Freddy head on the end of this snake thing. Ugh, that one was. I was like. I watched this. I watched that, and was and was really struck this time around by how disgusting that one looks. Well, what I also love about that too, because I agree, and what I love about that is if you watch any of the behind the scenes about the making of this movie, uh, it's really, really great, interesting stuff. But also, uh, they talked about that originally they had asked for that thing to be flesh colored. Oh boy, that, then, that would bring a whole different context in. Well, and that's what happened when it came to set. They the, uh, Chuck Russell, even though he was like, "Oh my God, this thing looks like this," and they said, "Well, yeah, that's what you wanted." He goes, "I know, but it looks too much like a penis." <laughs> yeah, you got to recolor it. So that's when they made it like the kind of oogie brown that it is now in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. and to be able to get the shot of the Freddy worm eating uh, Patricia Arquette. They had to shoot that in reverse. Oh, okay. Which I love. Like that's interesting. Those are those little, those little movie details that I'm like, oh, I love that because if they tried to do it the normal way, apparently the rubber was getting sucked into the mouth area. Oh, okay. So yeah, that's and see, that's what's nice is it instead of just saying we'll throw money at it, we'll just put another hour in, you know, when someone that's programming the scene on in uh, CGI, it's well. We got to figure out this problem. How are we going to do it? Well, we'll film it in reverse. Perfect. You know, it's just like that bit of charm and that bit of little ingenuity, I think, really is a small thing, but helps add into, um, you know, the personality of the film as, instead of it just being like, oh, yeah, whatever. It was gross looking. So, 
Yeah, I agree. So, yeah. And I love, I love the, uh, and it's got a sad ending. Like, uh, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> horror movie sad, but it's got a sad ending. I appreciate that too. No, oh, I always love, uh, down endings. So this is a, this is a nice combination. <laughs> yeah. And it's also one of those things where it's like debatably the series could have ended pretty strongly here. It didn't need to, cause after, after this, I mean, I, there's things about New Nightmare I really like. There's things I don't like about New Nightmare. But generally, it works. But that said, there are still things. Uh, at, at three, three is pretty much for me like the benchmark. Like that's where it's like the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, like four with Rennie Harlan is is good. There's a lot of great deaths in it. There's some fun moments, but that's kind of called like the MTV uh, nightmare, and it definitely feels like it. And also, some of the cast returns, but Patricia Arquette does not. Mm. And the actress who she's trying, but the actress they got to play play Kristen uh, didn't do, didn't do it for me. <laughs> so yeah, what? Uh, so it's this one, the original, and the one where uh, Heather comes back. Right? Those are the those are the main three. Yeah, one one three and seven. I think. Yeah. Um, again, there's good st- two is uh, is a wild ride that I think uh, you it. it Two is a wild ride in that it's one of those perfect examples of a film where it ignores all the stuff within the rest of the series, but there mm-hmm. was no rest of a series at that point. Mm-hmm. So it's like it stands out more and now in retrospect. It's like your favorite uh, Halloween version, right? Oh, Isn't Halloween it 3? three? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Halloween 3 is so good. <laughs> so what about um, – I guess <laughs> this is called A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors – I would have liked to see more dream warring. Well, apparently there was. Apparently in the original script there was a lot more battle kind of things, but uh, budget dictated. Mm. It could not could not could not be. Uh, mostly because of um, uh, New Line Cinema was not. This was not new. This was not the New Line Cinema at this time that would go on to make Lord of the Rings. <laughs> right, right. Because it's they one of those where get there, but not yeah, this time. It's it's like well, this is. This is what the the movie's called, but I don't, you know, they're like not really doing anything. I know, and it it shows, you know, okay, well, Kincaid's strong, and and uh, we've got some gymnastics is what is what Kristen can do, and some and, wizard stuff. Yeah, that's that's true. But I was like, well, that would have been cool to see them. I don't know, use that in some way, I guess. But apparently, that I was get, supposed to be a it. big segment. There was supposed to be this giant, like the wizard segment was supposed to be this big, like at a castle kind of scene. Mm. And they were just like, oh, yeah, we can't afford that. Just put them in a creepy hallway, which I'm like, ah, that works. So whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if it would have just been called Nightmare on Elm Street 3 with no colon, then I'd have been like, oh, fine, whatever. You know, it's just a group of kids. But it's like, well, it's called Dream Warriors. Where are the Dream Warriors? Yeah, but then we wouldn't get that awesome song. No, that's true. I love so. that. I love that song. <laughs> <laughs> I get that'll be our uh, that'll probably be our song at the uh, the credits here. So. Good, so and that's the, that was that, that was another thing about this era too. Was like the music video where they would bring in, they would both use scenes from the movies, but then also, uh, also you would then bring in like uh, Freddy Krueger, Robert England to film scenes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, what what a great time for music videos where it'd be like, yeah, we're gonna use scenes from the movie and then also bring in the actors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's good. That's good times. You don't oh, get man. that sort of stuff anymore. That good additional content. That's right. Well, anything else about Nightmare on Elm Street 3 before we move on? 
it's it, it, not really a, there's nothing else I think to say it's great it's so good uh, there's so many it's and for this time of year it's like such a perfect Halloween movie yeah absolutely absolutely I know, the day we come back to this movie is I want to hear about when you finally show your kid <laughs> yeah she has and what's weird is uh, you know when I was probably like six or seven I saw the original Nightmare on Elm Street and it gave me nightmares big time and so she's ten. And she still hasn't really seen, like, she, yeah, I don't know that she's seen, like, a proper horror movie. She's seen, like, you know, her little kitty versions of things, what, like, your what, if, you had, and stuff. if you had to guess, so you, if you had to guess, what do you think is, like, the scariest movie she's seen? Not scarier for her, not scary for her, because kids can be scared by sometimes the oddest things. But, like, if you were, like, oh, yeah, that's kind of a horror movie. Mm, I mean, does Jaws count? I would, I put Jaws in there. Cause I would, cause she's seen three fourths of Jaws. Uh, she, I don't, yeah, she's seen most of Jaws, so I would say that, and then she, uh, that was like two years ago, and she had me turn it off. (laughs) So Uh, so she's walking around thinking the shark's still out there, baby. (laughs) Yeah, she's like, it's coming to get me. But I would say, other than that, it's probably just like, um, you know, she watches those silly, like, ghost hunter things on TV, and she watches, (laughs) uh, like, her Goosebumps shows, and that kind of stuff. Like, she kind of digs, uh the horror genre like we listen to uh the no sleep podcast <laughs> and which is not real appropriate for her but we listen to that and i'll i'll kind of screen them and i'll be like all right there's not a lot of swearing in this one she can listen to this one and so we watch or we listen to that on the way to school and that kind of thing when i take her and you gotta um, throw you gotta throw her into the deep end you gotta just be like hey we're gonna watch the exorcist <laughs> yeah well i don't yeah again the the your mother sucks cocks in hell and hell i don't know if she'll dig on that bit listen she's gonna be in high school sooner than you think she's gonna hear some she'll be, junior high she's gonna hear some crazy shit <laughs> you gotta true. you gotta acclimatize her somehow that is true well when an do it through the style, magic just, of movies i'll just say you know what cameron told me to so yeah that's why pressure, I, I have another i have another friend whose wife is not a big fan of me because i'm like check this movie out so <laughs> it's all good love it all right well uh so yeah i don't know i think that if you're you know looking for something to watch around this time of year i think like Cameron said, one, three, and seven. Nightmare on Elm Street. Not bad. Not a bad idea. So, uh, yeah. So let's go ahead and move on to our second movie. It is from uh, 2018, and it is Hereditary. Come on, Peter. This is soon. It's heartening to see so many strange new faces here today. I know my mom would be very touched and probably a little suspicious. My mother was a very secretive and private woman. It's grandma. You know you were her favorite, right? Even when you're a little baby, she wouldn't let me feed you because she needed to feed you. She was a very difficult woman, which maybe explains me. I recognize you from your mother. What? Sometimes I swear I can feel them in the room. She isn't gone. She had private rituals, private friends. Who's going to take care of me? 
You don't think I'm gonna take care of you? But when you die. And she wasn't altogether there. At the end. any more stress on my family. And the IMDb plot synopsis for this film is very, very short. It says, when the matriarch of the Graham family passes away, her daughter's family begins to unravel cryptic and increasingly terrifying secrets about their ancestry. So Cameron, tell me about you and Hereditary. So I do a show over at Hyper RPG called um, uh, Cineverse, and uh, we do trailer reactions, movie reviews, stuff like that. So we picked up – I had been hearing about this movie because it had shown at I think maybe TIFF last year mm-hmm. or something, and then the trailer mm-hmm. came out, uh, and people were like, oh, you got to check out this trailer. So I was like, okay, let's watch this trailer on the show. Blew me away. Um <laughs> Love the trailer. So I was super stoked for that movie. Saw it opening night, and I've been singing its praises ever since. <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, uh, I think I saw, I think I said this last episode. We saw this trailer at a quiet place in the theater. Oh, yes. And I said to my wife, I was like, ooh, we got to see that. And she goes, fuck no. And I was like, what? And she goes, no, that is going to be way too scary. And so I uh, was overruled, we'll say it that way. And so I didn't get to, I didn't see this in the theater. But we watched this recently, obviously, for the show. I watched it with my wife. Uh, I will soon be sending Cameron two different pictures I took of my wife while she was watching (laughs) this movie. Uh, I didn't bring my phone in here, so I won't be able to do this at the moment. But I'll send it to you so you can see her reaction. She does not like uh, hearing the sounds of scary things. So she likes to cover her ears. Oh with... man. And this movie's all sound design. Absolutely. Some of it. Absolutely. And so she was freaked the fuck out. Um, and so she, she was having a hard time during times. And so she was covering her ear with blankets and like having her head tilted to the side and then having her hand over her other ear and, but still watching. Uh, and so she was really kind of, funny to watch uh, during this movie. So I was last week talking about how John Krasinski did, did such a great job of setting up and then paying off everything in A Quiet Place. And I really appreciated how you could kind of see what was happening in, in parts or you're, you're like, oh, that's a callback to this or whatever. And that I thought he did a really nice job with that. And what I think that the writer director does here that is so well done is I had no idea what was coming next. Like I felt very much un like I was comfortably out of control watching this movie. Cause I was like, I have no idea where this is going. I don't know what is going to happen next. I don't know who our protagonist or antagonist really is. And I loved that sort of feeling of not knowing 
And uh, I really enjoyed the movie, even though I was like, oh, my, this is so weird. Like, wait, wait, what? You know, and just kind of um, was able to take a step back and just watch it just for entertainment's sake instead of picking apart little things. And I didn't take notes during this movie. I just kind of knew that it was as soon as it started, I knew that this was a movie that I didn't want to um I didn't want to look down and write something down. I had to st- I had to just stare at the film the whole time. And oh, yeah. it continued to surprise and shock and scare me and I really, really liked it a lot. Yeah, I think the thing about this movie is so much what has to be said about it obviously is the craft behind making it. Mm-hmm. Um that opening shot of the dollhouse that then goes into uh the main house. Um uh the the lighting there is a mm-hmm. sequence in the third act where minor light adjustment suddenly shows you something in the background you did not know was there. <laughs> well, and it's funny because when that shows up or when you when the audience finally sees that, I'm looking at it, right? And then it's probably three, four seconds and my wife goes, Oh my god, do you see that? And I was like, Yeah, that's I've what happened looking. in that's what happened in the theater. It was one of the coolest things is like it being in a packed house, because this is again opening night, so it was like jam packed. Every everyone was there. And seeing the wave of people figuring it out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just that wave of like some people like you'd hear like murmurs and then some people started pointing up and all this other stuff. And it was like, what an interesting experience. Yeah. And that was all done through like craft. You know what I mean? Yeah. Awesome. It's a, it's a movie that takes its time. And I love that. I know that's a lot of the criticism lobbed at the movie is that it's boring. It's so boring. Oh, please. <laughs> it's ponderous and boring. Um, the thing I also loved is uh, there is that thing. The big complaints people have about horror movies off, uh, uh, most of the time. This movie addresses all of them, hmm. and it didn't matter. She tells everybody everything that's happening mm-hmm. all the time. She's, t- she's telling her husband. She's telling her son. She goes, this is happening. I met this person. Here's the things that are going on. And they go, you're crazy. <laughs> it didn't matter that she told anybody. She tries to leave the house. It doesn't work. Like all the things you hear about horror movies, like why didn't the characters just do this, this, or this? Yeah. doesn't work. She, You know what I mean? Like, And I love that. I love that it addresses all that shit. <laughs> yeah. Well – one of the things that I talked about about our first movie today was that I was disappointed with some of the acting. And again, this is a lot of taste slash uh, when the film was made for yeah. the style and all that sort of thing. But to have Tony Collette, I mean, she's fantastic, right? Tony Collette was, and people she been, was fantastic before this, but she's fantastic in this. Oh, people and people have been beating the drum uh, since this movie came out. That she should get nominated for an Oscar because mm-hmm. the amount of different stuff she has to do, the the layers of anger, upset, uh, you know, shock, this kind of uh, balanced out detachment, all that kind of stuff is like not really easy to do. And she does it constantly on like a, on a flip of a dime. Yeah. And she's all over the place in the uh, in. And I think one of the more famous parts of the film already was the uh, the I am your mother monologue or the the dialogue between her and her son to where she's she's she plays like she feels real watching her like she oh, doesn't oh, yeah. feel like a construct made for a movie. And that was <laughs> that was terrifying for me because <laughs> well, I was that, like, oh, my God, I so. love I loved uh her son, I thought, I love the fact that it's like her son was portrayed 
and I, I don't mean this in a bad way, that the son was portrayed as like crying and sniveling even and stuff like that. And it's not something I think you would see most movies do. Hmm. You know what I mean? Where you are treating essentially your male protagonist uh, as uh, realistically weak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he wants nothing to do with you know because sometimes you'll get in a movie and the the kid will like take on the quest and and you know rise up and and defeat the the antagonist, but he does he uh, he wants nothing to do with that. He doesn't want to be involved in this. Lives. Yeah, he just wants to be a normal kid. And and let's let's talk about spoilers from here on out. Yeah, so, we got, it's hard to talk about this movie without without spoiling. Yeah, so it, a lot of the times we'll say, oh, yo, spoiler, spoilers, blah blah blah, and then people will just keep listening but if you really if you have not seen the movie you should go see the movie before you keep listening okay so at this point one of the things that i wanted to talk about is in the promotional material in the trailers i am focused on the little girl and i'm Mm -hmm. thinking okay it's gonna go something to where the grandmother has done something and this little girl is it's going to be like the omen for a little girl or something. And Tony Collette's going to be the hero mom. And I'm watching and we go to this party and we have the asthma attack and I'm like, oh shit, he's got to save it. And then the little girl is going to kill the brother, you know, and I'm, and I'm like trying to guess with the movie. And we have the just terrifying car accident. And what I think is, so good about that is not only is the, is the actual effect really good, but is the reaction of the son of the person. Oh, that who, that slow uh, him trying to look in the mirror and then yeah. not and the drive home and then following him into bed. The whole trauma of it all. Yeah, the trauma to where normally it'd be screeching and screaming and crying and apologizing and and trying to explain and rationalizing. And instead, he's just completely in shock. And my wife was like, well, he's not going to get away with this, is he? It was just like turning on him immediately because she was wanting him to get, you know, his comeuppance from this accident, like right away. Because she was pissed that, you know, this that he was involved in this accident. And yeah. not like, not like standing and, you know, upset. But, you know, she was just like, well, that's not that's not right. He should get. What what you know he should be punished for what he did. Oh, and he, he and is. So I, yeah, I mean he is, but I just thought that that was such a good. Uh, it was just something that I was very unexpected because, like I said, even if you look at the poster, it's the mother and the daughter, and she's out of the movie fairly early. That's what I loved. I loved. That I felt like the marketing was in on this. Do you know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because even when the car accident takes place, and you're like, oh my god. There is like, because then we stay with the son and we follow him all the way, you know what I mean, upstairs, all this other stuff into his bed. We hear Tony Collette going to her car and I'm waiting because I'm like, I'm trying to now go through my head, trying to think like in the trailer, were there any other scenes with the daughter in the trailer? Mm-hmm. You know, is there anything like I'm forgetting about? Because then I'm waiting for that moment where it's like, 
you know, you're going to hear Tony Collette's car drive away and no reaction. And it's going to be like, oh, the little girl walks into the the brother's bedroom and is like, hey. And it's like, oh, what happened? What is that? You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. And I love that none of that happened. Mm-hmm. She's fucking dead. <laughs> yep. Yep. And I was like, I was so sure that especially the way that the movie starts and we have the, you know, we have, we have the whole funeral sequence and i'm like okay this is just gonna be to where this grandma lives on through the daughter somehow and i i could have swore i saw some it it might even be in the trailer where it was like the it was either tony collette's face yeah they do do this like dissolve shot yeah yeah and i was like okay so it's just gonna be like a reborn in this child and it looked like you know in the in the modeling and the in the little figures it looked like there was a scene or a a figure where it was like the grandmother was nursing the the child or something almost yes and i was like god this is some fucked up stuff like i'm i'm ready for it though right and then when it doesn't go that direction i was like whoa what and then it from then i was just kind of lost in a perfectly good way because i didn't know what to expect from that moment on throughout the movie it's so good. It is so good. And and it's after that is when we get one of my favorite actresses going when Ann Dowd is introduced into the movie. Uh, and Aunt Lydia is what she's known as around our house from uh, The Handmaid's Tale. And she was also in uh, Compliance, which she was very much wanting an Oscar nod for <laughs> when she was campaigning for herself. But, oh, that's right. Yeah. But, but, uh, and so I think that she is good because she is so convincingly warm and so convincingly batshit crazy. And I think that she is so good and she's just, you know, I see her on screen and I'm like, yeah, she could be a monster or she could be just like a loving grandma figure. And it turns immediately. Whenever I see her, she's really good. Um, yeah, I, and and like her, all her scenes with Tony Collette. I also do not want to bypass uh, how great uh, Gabriel Byrne is on this movie. Yeah, playing As a very un Gabriel Byrne like figure. He's kind of just holding it together, and I'm like, <laughs> like he's just like, man, he's just trying. He's just trying to do right by his kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just all this stuff, and I'm like, oh man, this he's so good in this. Um, kind of playing like the non-showy role, which I think you need something in a movie like this, because like Tony, like and, and rightfully so, Tony Collette and the son are going for broke. You know, they're really big and all this other stuff. So having like that one father who's just like, I need to get my kid out of here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is mm-hmm. all so fucked. <laughs> yeah, and it, he's never a guy that I that I ever think of as being like a warm presence. No, and I, you know. My wife and I watched the the run of In Treatment, and so I always I always see him as very like clinical and very analytical, and so to see him play this sort of fatherly, you know, warm guy, I was like, God, this is this is good, but this is so off what I would have thought uh, when he was cast, you know. So when I see him in, originally in there, I'm like, Oh, he's going to be in on in on it or something, and I don't know. I just thought that the whoever the casting <laughs> The casting director was did an excellent job with this. So, what do you think of the third act? Because that's where the movie, even people, some people who really like the movie, it kind of breaks for them. Well, I think it is. There's not really, there's not really a twist or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like it, it it's kind of you kind of get introduced to this whole. It's possibly this weird devil thing, and then that's what it is. Uh, right, and I think that. I guess I I didn't love the naming of it. Like that was a thing that kind of 
hung me up a little bit. Like when they start going into this is the name of this specific demon that's coming back or devil that's coming back or whatever, or that's going to inhabit the son's body and all this. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't love that, but I, I really did like that the little tree house and we've got the, the court, like the, just the bodies that are there. Uh, yeah. I thought that was fucking creepy as hell. I, I did really like the, the whole fireplace bit. Um, I like the fact that, you know, I guess, I guess just the naming bit of it is the only thing that I didn't appreciate it. I don't know. It was just one of those really specific things where I'm like, I don't know if I need that. Like it could have just been a demon. I don't need to, I don't need to know like the literature behind it, I guess. I think there's something about because it is, it's one of those weird things where it's like that kind of specificity can make it like, creepier <laughs> yeah where it's like more realistic in a way or something like what well what are the what are the criticisms of the, of the third act like what what are people not they're expecting another twist at the end or something or um i i get i also know I, there's a little bit of that i think there's also something like people just inherently you see naked old people and you think like this got silly you know what i mean oh, okay. um there's also debatably a degree of like and this is for my for me um I kind of like that that's what it is, but I guess like the first two thirds of the film could be played like, is this all really happening or is Tony Collette crazy? Cause they're kind oh, of playing with it could be that. And then when it goes with it's all really happening, there are a swath of people who go, well, that's not interesting or whoa. So you're not actually saying anything. This and the other. I disagree with that take. Um, I think you are saying something. I think you are just saying it in a different way using allegory, which to some extent is like, your parents are going to fuck you up, and by nature, you're probably going to fuck your kids up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you're whether you're trying to or not, and I and do even, like even with your best intentions, you're probably going to fuck your kids up. Yeah, I do like the fact that she is very unhinged, though, because it's it's like she's the person that we're following, Tony Collette, but she is having a hard ass time. Like when she's she when is. she oh. does the model with her child that's dead and all that sort of thing, and. I mean, she's she's going to some dark places. But what I also love, too, is like once that third act happens, it completely restructures the movie, mm-hmm. um, which I always appreciate because you have then because there's a scene where she goes to um, the grieving group mm-hmm. and she talks about all her different family history about her mm-hmm. brother tried to kill his, her brother killed himself because he said her mom was doing this thing. The father did this and blah, blah, blah. And then you're like. Oh, they weren't crazy. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's something that if people have criticisms about the third act is they need to watch it again because they need to find those things that are planted in the earlier parts of the film. Yes. And and to make note that, oh, no, they didn't just sort of slap dash it together and say, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just make it the demons real. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it is that that little scene. And I remember watching that. And looking over at my wife, just like Jesus Christ, like this family is fucking messed up, and it's uh, not, and, and it's not usually like that in horror movies because usually no. they're like, oh, I want to go with just this this everyday group of people, and look what, at how this terrible thing can happen to you. Well, what I like too is like, because I'm, do you remember The Witch like a year or two ago? You know, I haven't seen it, but I do. I know about it, but I haven't seen Ooh, it. Oh, I love The Witch. Um, The Witch was another film. Like the trailer came out, and everyone was like. Ah, uh, I figured it out. There, she. One of them is crazy. There's no yeah. witch. It's one of them. They're crazy, and they're gonna try to convince the rest of the family that there, there's a witch, and there's not a witch, and so uh, they're crazy. Uh, and I love that the first ten minutes of that movie, there's a fucking witch. <laughs> right, right, right. 
nope, there's a witch. It's not that. And I kind of like that <laughs> horror movies are kind of getting back to not being worried about the twist mm-hmm. and trying to be like, there was no killer all along. Yeah. It was the main character who you thought was good. Like, that shit's not happening. It's, nope, there's a witch. Yep, there's a devil cult. That's what's happening. That's the mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. So the, I think the thing that I take away from this, like, what is, what's, well, let me ask you first. What is the thing that you find the most disturbing? Like, what was the most disturbing image from this movie? Oh, it is uh, Tony Collette in, t- in the attic cutting Oh, God head. damn it. Yep. Eyes, <laughs> eyes wide open, slowly doing it, looking at her oh, son. Oh, I could not believe how much time they took when she's like slowly cutting the head off. Oh, man. Like, and, oh, and there's also, yeah. along with that, the, the bashing her head like as if she's knocking on the door. Yes. And see, now that was the thing in the trailer that put my wife over the edge to where she was like, no way, you know, and so we walked home from, or we drove home from a quiet place, and she's like, yeah, that trailer, when she's bashing her head against the against the wall or whatever, she's like, no way, or were we seeing that? And so I think that it, it was good for her to watch it in the sort of safety of our home. If she would have seen this in the trailer, I think, I feel like she might have walked out, because she would have been too freaked out. So what did she think of the third act with those scenes? Well, she watched it and was just, and you know, she was, she likes to do this thing where she, the movie ends and she likes to get up and go get a drink and sort of take it in before she says anything to me. And so I'm looking at her and she just kind of shook her head and she's like, that was fucked up. She's like, I don't even know. I don't even know (laughs) what to think of it. She's like, that was fucking crazy. So that this the only thing that she said and, and she's not a real big swearer. <laughs> she's not real big into the cursing. But that was fucked up. That was fucking crazy, I believe is what her exact words to me. And then after that I was like, So what did you think of that movie? Like, are you wanting to come on? She's like, I don't even I don't even want to think about it anymore. She's like, It's too messed up. So Oh so good. I mean I did I did ask uh Rachel Zelag what she thought of the movie and she goes uh, she's like hereditary, the scary one. No, thank you. <laughs> so she was like, I was like, Hey, you should watch it. And, and then come on and talk to, to Cameron and I about it. And she's like, she's like, no, too freaky. Not going to happen. So, so yeah. And there's also what I love too, is like it, it, the movie kind of also deals with this idea of like, maybe you didn't want to have kids. Mm-hmm. Cause mm-hmm. when she goes through that whole thing of like the, that confession scene with her son and all this other stuff. I was like, this is so good. This is yeah, all so good. The confession. Well, it's when, uh, ooh, it, it's, and then it reminded me of something else. It's when she's in the, the bedroom is where it freaked me out to where she's, she just blurts out that she didn't want to have him and yeah, then covers yep. her mouth. And then that, that later is when they're, they're covered in the lighter fluid from the sleepwalking, you know, and they have that little flash in there and that sort of thing. I oh, think that's, so that's another thing where I'm like, holy fuck, like she is, this is this is freaking me out when I'm watching the movie, right? Because I'm like, we had those little those little flashes of, God, what is she doing? You know, and and because she's the main character you're following, you're you're hoping the best for her, and you're like, what the hell is her deal? Like, what is her problem? And then you're you know, it gets down to that that sequence in the attic and all that kind of stuff that we talked about. But but yeah, I mean it's. It's a hell of a film and it's it's got some real craft behind it too. It's it's not like you had mentioned earlier, it's not a movie where they just kind of threw money at it and said, "Oh yeah, the computer will fix it." It's uh I mean there's a lot of craft going on with the lighting and with the the prop making and all that sort of thing. 
Mm. Yeah, it's so it's so good. I loved it. Um, I, oh, and we I, again going back to the sound design, the scene that grabbed me and grabbed a bunch of people in the theater too was the tongue click when she's driving. Oh, yes. <laughs> what a simple oh, idea, man. and it's so effective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I can't believe I forgot that. That is definitely something that's been happening around our house. So. It'll be a thing where, you know, my wife just kind of looks over at me and I'll say, do you, do you need a drink? And she'll just do the tongue click thing. <laughs> and I'll be like, okay, I guess that means yes. So, so good. It's become a thing for sure. And uh, so we didn't mention that it's Ari Aster is the uh, the writer director. Yes. And first, he, first film. First film. That is crazy to me. First film. I mean, that had to have been a hell of a script to get the people to sign on that did sign on to this movie. Well, he also has a short film that was talked about uh, a while back, and I'm going to look up what it was called. Um, yeah, he's got seven short films. There's a specific one he made, and it was one of those things where people had seen it, and they were like, this is so fucked up. Uh, the strange thing about the Johansons. Oh, his yeah. first one. Crazy. Again, first one. Uh, so let let me what the strange thing about the Johansons plot. Sidney Johnson, an acclaimed poet, accidentally interrupts his twelve year old son Isaiah masturbating. He apologizes and reassures him that the act is natural. Sidney does not realize that Isaiah has been masturbating to a photograph of him. Hmm. Wow, weird. <laughs> so <laughs> Ari Crazy. Aster loves to play with like insane family dynamics, and uh, I'm I'm all I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, next year, Midsummer. A young woman reluctantly yes. joins her boyfriend on a summer trip where things quickly go awry. So yeah. that's his next movie. And it is in uh, post-production, maybe? Um, in July. Pro- so, yeah, post-production. Yeah, principal photography began in July 30th in Budapest. Ooh. That's, and a, it's that's a- how you know it's messed up right there. And A24 is releasing it. A24 continues to fucking just kill the game. Yeah, A24 uh, is on a roll. Uh, A24 is one of those studios, man, that it's like, if they're making a movie, I'm going to see it. Uh, they got like just this year, uh, mid nineties under the silver lake. It still has to come out, uh, next year, uh, skin, which I've heard great things about. Like there's a lot of A24 is constantly just killing the game. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think I know them from, I believe they did, uh, ex machina, didn't they? Yes. Yeah. And they so. did last year's killing of a sacred deer. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I loved. <laughs> yeah, so if uh, if people are not convinced yet, they should definitely go see Hereditary if they've listened oh, yeah. all the way through and got spoiled. Like, I don't think it's going to make a difference if you know how it's going to end because the, just that, seeing the visuals is still crazy. And there's lots of stuff that we have yet that we didn't really even talk about about this movie that are that's just Great. tremendous. Ugh. And again, I, I, I think that Tony Collette should be nominated for an Oscar. I think I mean that's the thing. If like Oscars gave a shit about horror movies, I think there'd be a lot of things that this movie could be nominated for. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. But yeah, sound design, lighting, sure. Oh yeah, but Production. it feels like it feels like the best people can hope for is um, yeah, is, uh, acting, <laughs> which is like yeah. fine. Like because I don't think there's been an actress nominated for a horror film whew, since Jodie Foster with Silence. Mm. Yeah, probably. Misery was I think the year before that. So not not since the early '90s has a horror film. Uh, garnered Academy Award worthiness. Yeah, and I think the thing that I wanted to to say about these two movies that I really liked is, you know, we mentioned the whole uh, the house stuff and and how there's similar themes going on in some ways, but 
I found that watching the Nightmare on Elm Street movie, I could appreciate the horror, like the horror of the 90s and the horror of the 80s and 90s and the slasher stuff and, and like, uh, oh man, I remember watching these and what a good time. And then watching this version, this hereditary movie and A Quiet Place last week, I was like, Jesus Christ, these horror movies are still like scaring the shit out of me and this one again like i said scared me because i didn't know where it was going i didn't know what was going to happen and that doesn't necessarily happen too much when you're watching a freddy movie you're like just kind of along for the ride and you're like oh, okay just rolling yeah. with it yeah you're like oh awesome look at the way that this person got killed like ooh, gross look at that um and so it's it's just kind of a little dichotomy between the two styles that i thought was really effective so i was glad that these got put together because it was like a little bit of like a then and now. Well, also, and the reason I wanted to put them together was also in a big way because of the your parents are going to mm. <laughs> kill you by accident yeah, yeah, probably really, yep, yep. theme. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, this was a fun one. I love yeah. both these movies. Me too. Me too. So, yes, go go check out both of these movies uh, if you have not already done so. Anything else, Mr. Cameron Rice, before we close this one out? Mm, um, I did go see uh, Hellfest. Okay. Not very good. <laughs> oh, <laughs> not very good. That's good, a bummer. Good, good concept. Not very good movie. Hmm. Well, I have. Uh, I've been watching movies for our next episode, and I'm feeling pretty positive about both of them so far. Mm. So, so there you go. All right. Well, if you have any comments, suggestions, or movies that you'd like to hear us talk about, you can email us at plainlabelpodcast at gmail dot com. You can follow the show over at Twitter. Our handles at plainlabelpod, where you can follow me. I'm at Eric William seventy nine. We also have a Facebook page and an account over at Instagram. Just search for Plain Label Podcast, and you'll find us there. If you wanted to help us out a little bit, you could check out our show notes where you'll find the link to our Amazon wish list and our Audible link, where, again, you can get something for free just by signing up. So I do want to thank Cameron once again for coming on. If people wanted to hear more from you or watch you or get in touch with you, where could they do that? Uh, the best place to go is uh, Twitter.com slash Jurassic Alien. That's usually where you'll see me posting about, hey, come watch me on this thing or go listen to that and things like that nature. Gotcha. So thank you for listening, and Cameron and I will be back next week with a look at the film's Gerald's Game and Hellraiser. 